Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Property, I'm Peter Switzer. Now not long ago the Reserve Bank suggested that house prices right across the country would rise by 30% over the next three years. So on tonight's show I will test this proposition with AMP Capital's Chief Economist, Dr Shane Oliver, propertybuyer.com.au's uh, Richard Harvey and SQM researchers Louis Christopher and we'll try to work out where the buying will be good in 2021 and what you should actually be buying. So let's kick off with AMP's Dr Shane Oliver. Well joining me on the program is Shane Oliver from AMP Capital and as everyone knows Shane is an economist and when people hear the word economist they usually think time for a good sleep but let me tell you, Shane Oliver is a far more entertaining guy apart from his colourful ties uh, and his, his shock of blonde hair which makes me very jealous of. Shane is also a man who loves his music and in a recent economic note he started talking about the departure of the very flawed but brilliant Phil Spector. Shane, thanks for joining us on the program. Thank you Peter. Now we are going to get to the fact that I want you to discuss will house prices rise by 30% over the next three years as has been suggested by some RBA um, uh, thought processes or, or thought pieces. But let's get, get to you first. What's your history with interest in things like Phil Spector and the Ronettes and leave my, my, is it baby or leave my baby or something like that? No, Be My Baby, Be, Be My, my baby. baby. Yeah, I actually played it before we came on air. And it's a song I, I really know. But you also mused about Brian Wilson and you. It's like as you and Brian Wilson had chatted about the calibre and the, the, the work <laughs> of Phil Spector. So fill us in on that. Well, see, Brian Wilson was obsessed with Phil Spector. Hmm. And uh, but the we should explain, Wilson. Brian Wilson is from the Beach Boys, for those people. Yeah, Brian Wilson know. is the guy behind the Beach Boys. Yeah. Or a lot of, but anyway, there's a whole bunch of people in there, Mike Love and Al Jardine and hmm. so on, Carl Wilson. But uh, anyway, he, he was obsessed with uh, Phil Spector's approach to making music, this so-called wall, wall of sound, hmm. where you have not just one guitar, but three or four guitars, and not just one drum kit, you have multiple drum kits and so on. And so he would take, he took the song Be My Baby by Ronnie and the Ron X, which is a classic girl group song from the early 60s. Yeah. And he, he left, he listened to it over and over and over. And that was the inspiration for some of his songs. I think it inspired Don't Worry Baby, which is a, a classic Beach Boys song. Now, to be honest with you, I think the Beach Boys and Brian Wilson bettered Phil Spector. And as you alluded to there, Phil Spector had a lot of problems. He died in jail for killing someone. Mm. And he wasn't very nice to Ronnie Spector, who was his wife, either. But uh, he did create some classic music. And he was also associated with the Beatles. He produced Let It Be after the Beatles had virtually given up in the late 60s. Uh, Paul McCartney didn't like his version of the songs, though. There's too many strings on them. Mm. And, of course, he also produced uh, All Things Must Pass, which was George Harrison's first major solo album. So he, he, he did produce some fantastic stuff. But, as you say, he was a flawed human being. Yeah. Now, I, I always thought that you, you were a one-trick pony, namely Elvis Presley was your, your beat. But you obviously have a much wider interest in music. Yeah, I mean, Elvis is my first love, of course. Well, I wouldn't put it that way, but I love Elvis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your wife. Your, is, your, this yeah, is yeah, the yeah. problem of doing interviews. The phone goes. Anyway, I'm going to have to hang up. 
So uh, you forget about these old-fashioned phones, and I've still got one here sitting in the corner, and every so often it uh, it goes off just when I'm least expecting it. But uh, in any case, in any case, hopefully that won't go off again. But uh, yeah, I love I love Elvis, but you got to listen to other stuff as well. But uh, Beach Boys is one of my favourite groups. Uh, Beatles. Initially, I'd say I was a Paul McCartney fan, but then over the years, I discovered all the other Beatles as well in their solo years, including George Harrison, who I love. And uh, Pet Shop Boys, Kylie Minogue. I mean, Kylie Minogue's a fantastic Australian. I think if she hasn't got an Australia Day Award yet, she should get one. Uh, I'm sure she, she has. She keeps producing right. fantastic stuff. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I like a whole bunch of stuff, but mostly pop. Okay. Pop music is my thing. Okay, well, well, we'll talk about the Beach Boys on other occasions. I think every time I talk to you from now on, to make you look more interesting than people think you are. I know how interesting you are, but we'll, we'll just talk about the other side of Shane Oliver. But let's get to, to the, the side that people are used to you talking about. Fair enough. Yeah, the economy and particularly house prices, because in recent years, you actually have been far more involved in the house price debate and whatever. First of all, what do you think about this? And it was a news article that Reserve Bank said house prices could go up by 30% over three years. What's your view on that? I think the emphasis is on the word could, and I think they're just projecting what would happen if interest rates and therefore borrowing costs stay at these very low levels, how much extra people could borrow given those very low rates Mm. and therefore what that would mean for house prices. Because obviously if if you can borrow at 2% as opposed to 3%, then you can pay, yeah, conceivably, you can borrow a lot more, not quite. 50% 50% more, but you can borrow a lot more and therefore the price of the house should go up. Um, so that's the logic of it. The problem with that is that it does mean ever higher house price to income ratios in Australia and ever higher debt burdens. So even though the interest rates are low, I mean, the, the rates I ended up paying on my mortgage are ultra low compared to what was the case when I first took out my loan back in the, uh, the 1990s. Mm. Um, but by the same token, just because interest rates are low, people are actually borrowing a lot more these days, and that's evident in high house price to income ratios. So, I, bottom line is, I'd say it's possible that prices could go up thirty percent. They've come zooming out from the low point of last year. I got that wrong. They didn't come down anywhere near as much as I thought they would, and they took off a lot faster because of low rates and various incentives and so on, and also the good job Australia did in protecting the economy. Um, but therefore, it is conceivable. Yeah, they go up thirty percent, but I would have to say there's a lot of constraints around that. And I think at some point the Reserve Bank would say, okay, we've done enough in terms of supporting the housing market. Mm. Maybe it's time to pull back some of the incentives. I don't think that means they raise interest rates, by the way, mm. but I do think it could mean a greater focus on macro prudential controls. In other words, limiting the amount by which banks can lend out. Yeah. But before we get to that, I think the government would probably wind back some of the incentives we're currently seeing that are supporting the housing market. Mm. So, yes, yeah, conceivable that could happen, but I think more likely scenario is that the Reserve Bank would try and head it off. Okay, now you've touched on a really important subject and, and I do believe the Reserve Bank will have to eventually start raising interest rates, if not this year, definitely definitely not this year. 20, end of 2022, they might be thinking about, I think 2023 they will, but they have it kind of implied, haven't they, Shane, that they won't raise for three years. Has a, has a central bank boss ever promised that in their history of central bank <laughs> um, intercourse yeah. with, with the world? 
it's it's pretty restrictive to me. And if you keep saying three years, you know, when you say three years from 2020, that's one thing. And then you say if you say three years again now, it gets further and further out there. It's yeah. up to 2024. Uh, I, I think it's probably a bit too restrictive, and the Reserve Bank is probably better off saying we're not going to raise interest rates until we meet our inflation objective and we expect to continue meeting on a sustained basis, which they've sort of moved to in a formal fashion. So I think it would be appropriate for the Reserve Bank to emphasise that and stop saying the three-year number um, because I think that's sort of just putting them between a rock and a hard place. And I, I tend to agree with you. I, the, the, the Aussie economy has rebounded a lot faster than I and many of us thought it would. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've had numerous scares along the way. In fact, over Christmas, I was stuck here in Avalon, literally locked down um, because of the Avalon cluster. And then, of course, we had Victoria. But despite those things, and despite various other scares, South Australia, Queensland and so on, the Aussie economy has continued to recover and faster than expected. And the housing market has been a big part of that. So I, I think it appropriate. it's probably going to be appropriate at the end of the day for the RBA to start raising interest rates next year sometime, probably late next year. Mm. Um, but I think that there's things they will do along the way, obviously slow down bond buying or quantitative easing, that'll that'll be the first thing to be slowed down. And I think also macro prudential controls to stop borrowing from getting out of hand. But we are heading in that direction. I, I think, you know, with the vaccine starting to be deployed um, and the economy recovered, recovering, we saw the IMF overnight revise up their growth forecasts, you know, things are looking brighter. Mm. And therefore, the focus shifts from central banks easing to central banks eventually tightening. Yeah. Uh, June 15, uh, thanks to Google, the the, the um, internet business that's under a bit of pressure at the moment, I, I learnt that I, I wrote a story about a possible roaring 20s rerun um, if we get out of this faster than expected. And Michael Knox from Morgan's a clearly less interesting economist, but albeit a good quality, <laughs> a good quality one. Yeah, he's pretty. He is. Michael does have some weird and wonderful facts as well. He certainly does. I've known Michael for, well, I don't know, it must be uh, 35 years now. Yeah. Um, long time. So yeah. he's a good guy. Yeah, and, and, and very smart. And he actually said that the, there is a possibility that, you know, because of the enormous amount of stimulus in the pipeline, if we actually overcome the, the, the problems and the vaccine comes in faster, we might actually see a roaring 20s rerun like after the Spanish flu. Shane, do you think that the, the growth that we're expecting in 2021, which the, the IMF has talked about um, uh, this week, uh, could roll into 22 and 23, and we get really a, a, a quite sizable boom? It's uh, certainly possible. And your reference to the Roaring Twenties uh, made me aware that The Economist magazine just last week had a cover story on the Roaring Twenties. So I reckon they read your article from June. Yeah, of course. And then probably were initially a bit sceptical and are now thinking, well, maybe that's possible. Mm. And I, I'd have to agree it is certainly possible. One of the things that came out of the uh, Spanish flu pandemic, a pretty terrible time, mm. but then once it's under control again, you know, it's quite possible we have a bit of a party and people let their hair down and say, well, I haven't seen anyone for a long time. I want to get out there. I want to go to restaurants. Yeah. I want to travel the world again. I want to, to to spend more on services. We've been spending a lot on goods, but the focus should shift back to services. So do all those things that they were used to doing, but do them on a, on a bigger scale. And to some degree, the wherewithal to do, to do that is there. You know, unemployment's been coming down. We've got a very high savings rate in Australia and other countries around the world. And there's still a whole bunch of stimulus 
pumping out there. Mm. So you can't rule out that sort of roaring 20s type scenario. I mean, it seems hard to imagine from the current situation, but uh, you'd have to allow, I mean, you have to allow that there could be some upside there, that things can end up surprising on the upside. I know from the IMF's numbers, last year they, they revised their growth forecast for last year and they're now estimating GDP fell 3.5%. Uh, and at one stage they were saying down 5.2%. So last year it turned out to be not as bad as they feared. And then they've revised up their 2021 forecast to 5.5% from 5.2%. And for 2022, they're forecasting 4.2%. And bear in mind the average up until the pandemic was about 3%. Yeah. So they are, they're already forecasting stronger growth in the years ahead. Time will tell whether that uh, pans out, but uh, you'd have to say there is a bit of a risk there, particularly against this backdrop of very easy monetary policy and very easy fiscal policy. Okay, well, you, you're not just a musical expert and econ economic expert and house price <laughs> expert, but you're also a stock market expert. All the stuff in your AMP capital is around. I try. Yeah, yeah, you try. Uh, you're a real try. But, but looking at the stock market, particularly in the USA, that, that, that rise, despite infections and despite the economic implication of the problems <laughs> they've got over there, it's kind of telling you that the stock market expects some good times ahead as well. Is that a fair call? I think that's uh, precisely fair. A lot of people say, well, how come the stock market's so high at record highs? It must be crazy. Uh, but, yeah, sometimes the stock market does go crazy, but a lot of the times it, it sort of shows the way. It obviously fell out of bed back in March. A lot of people couldn't believe that it fell 35% or so, but it turned out we had that big hit to economic conditions and it had the recovery. Mm. And the recovery is telling us that the market anticipates better economic conditions ahead. So far, we've seen a bit of that. I know it's been stop, go, stop, go, but <clears throat> the US economy has recovered faster than expected. Australia is doing the same. You know, last week we saw almost 90% of the jobs lost through the pandemic have been recovered which I think is incredibly positive. So this, the share market's looking forward to that. And it's quite possible that uh, profit growth this year in Australia and the US will be north of 20% or so. I think uh, we're already seeing brokers predicting that for this financial year, 20% rebound in profit, particularly led by the retailers have been booming on the back of um, demand for household goods. Uh, but I think you'll see something similar in the US. And already through this profit reporting season in the US, there's been substantial upgrades. Those companies that have reported so far, when I last looked, we were about 15, 20% of the way through the reporting season in the US, um, the average beat has been above 20%. And earnings look like they're almost back to where they were at the start of the pandemic. Mm. So it's not going to take much to give us pretty good earnings growth through this calendar year. Um, obviously, if the, uh, the the vaccine helps get uh, coronavirus under control, which I'm reasonably confident that it will. Okay, uh, let's go back to where we started, not the musical start, musical start the economic start, uh, and that is the 30% house price rise over three years. Now, I can remember both Melbourne and Perth having rises in the high 20% in one year. So, but has the, has the nation as a country, have we seen rises of that magnitude right across the country? What we have in the past, 30% over three years is about just less than 10% per annum when mm. you allow for compounding. And we've certainly seen that in the past. Yep. Um, not 
Not often, but uh, you know, I remember the period after the 87 crash, there was a very strong period there. There was also a very strong period in the early 2000s. Yeah. <clears throat> and for much of the country, um, in the aftermath of the, uh, of, the, of the GFC, we saw pretty good gains as well as interest rates came down. So we have seen these sort of things before. Um, but, you know, just, just, be, just be aware that it's going to be, un- if it happens, it's going to be underpinned by people taking on ever more debt, which means our house, household debt levels will go ever higher, which I think is a, a concern. Mm-hmm. The other thing that might put a little bit of a break on it, the Reserve Bank, I don't think alluded to this, is that we have seen a big collapse in immigration levels in Australia, and that's going to dent demand in some suburbs, inner city areas of Sydney and Melbourne for a little while yet. So that'll be a little bit of a constraint on those areas. But I reckon if you're where I am in out of Sydney or uh, Brisbane, Adelaide, um, out of suburbs of Melbourne, houses generally, particularly Perth and Darwin and, and Hobart, I reckon you're going to see pretty good gains. Mm. Maybe not 30%, but uh, they're still going to be reasonably solid this year. And Shane, quite interestingly, um, uh, my producer here was saying he's got mates who work for big companies and they've been told that they'll be working from home right across 2021. Now, that, <laughs> that, that actually is quite surprising to me. What about you? Well, I mean, our company has had an objective to get back to work and that, of course, has been delayed yet again by the, uh, the recent uh, scare. Uh, it, it, I don't know, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Mm. I think there will come a time. There's a lot of people who want to get in. I'll, I'll be going in this Friday, next Friday, and then uh, you know, a few days every so often. Um, but by the same token, you know, the restriction is 20% in the office, uh, and that's issues regarding the lifts and so on. Yeah. And so, therefore, it makes it somewhat more effective to stay at home because there's no point going all the way in um, if a lot of your workers aren't there, a lot of your colleagues just aren't there. So it's... I think at the end of the day, we will settle to a, a lower number. The norm used to be like something like 70% in the office at any one point in time because of people travelling mm. and so on, more people working at home. Now I think you're going to see a lot more people working at home, but not full-time. I suspect ultimately once the pandemic is under control, that we're going to end up on settling something like two or three days a week at home, two or three days a week in the office. And I think ultimately that works for everyone because... You know, you can be a little bit more productive at home, but by the same token, you get in there and have that interaction you need with your colleagues yeah. every so often. So I think it's just shifted the bar, just like coronavirus has shifted the bar with online retail and a whole bunch of other things. And it may also be the factor that gives us uh, the roaring 20s. I mean, if you, if you want to go back to that issue, mm. one of the things that's been debated about, debated about amongst economists is how come we've got all these computers, but the productivity data around the world hasn't really picked up? And one of the arguments is, is that we didn't really know how to use all that new technology. Whereas now we do, we're doing this interview on Zoom. Um, Everyone, it seems, has discovered online purchasing. Um, And so I I think we're making a lot better use of the new technology, which could in turn mean a boost to productivity, which could be a fundamental underpinning of stronger growth through the 2000s, not just a giant spending spree and party as people are released from lockdowns. I'd be really interested, Shane, if you could construct a, um, a chart that shows rising productivity and increased membership and use of golf clubs. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a hard one. But, <laughs> then again, then again, let's think about this. In the 1950s and 60s, that's when golf clubs really took off. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually a time of high productivity. So there is some connection there. <laughs> okay, mate. Shane Oliver, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks, Peter. All the best. 
Well, following on from our interview with Shane Oliver about house prices rising by 30% over the next three years, I want to see what a buyer agent is seeing and saying about these rises. I'm talking to Rich Harvey, the founder of propertybuyer.com.au. Great to see you, mate. Great to be with you again, Peter. So, Richard, let's just cut straight to the chase. When you saw that prediction and it came out of the Reserve Bank, what did you think? Yeah, the Reserve Bank love to uh, have their policy boffins do some pretty detailed analysis. And um, I thought, look, 30% certainly in one year would not be feasible. Um, but we've seen, obviously, the normal link between low interest rate and asset prices rising. But I think, Peter, you've got to look at as, as um, interest rates go towards zero, we're basically there at a 0.1% rate. Um, the responsiveness, as you know, as an economist, is, is the responsiveness or elasticity of, of prices is not going to be as strong as when you're going from a cut, say, from a 5% down to a 4% in interest rates. So I do think, you know, in your intro, there is definitely a lot of momentum in the market. There's a lot of pent-up demand coming out of COVID. Um, but I'd be I'd be very surprised uh, if we see 30% in one year. I think that's just unachievable. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to see around a 10% rise in the Sydney prices this year and likely stronger price rises in other government cities yeah. as well. Uh, Rich, I should say the Reserve Bank did say uh, 3% over three years. Three years, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. so uh, you're more a 10%er than a, a 3% in one year. Is Correct. that? Do, do you think, you know, seeing, you know, looking at the history of, say, the Sydney market, which you probably know best, mm -hmm. you know, ha have we done three years of 10% rises? Um, yeah, we, we have we have seen a really strong jump um, in some of the cycles. If you look at the cycle between sort of 2015 to 2017. Um, I think if you look at the numbers there, you'd, you'd see a 30% rise or more. Um, so there's certain elements that, that give rise to that. Um, but, you know, long sustained periods of growth are very hard to come by. Um, I think we're going to have another rise over the next couple of years as interest rates stay on hold for the next three years. So I think we could see potentially a 30% rise over the next three to four years. Um, but you certainly won't see it in one year. And that's, but I think we're going to be here facing some headwinds, Peter. I mean, I don't think it's all plain sailing as we come out of this COVID recession. Um, I wrote in my newsletter the other day that we're going to see the W factor. You know, we're going to see some wobbles, um, whether that be, you know, some international events that happen or some domestic events as, as JobKeeper comes off, whatever it be. But, you know, we can't count on plain sailing and linear growth all the time. Okay. Let's move to what you're seeing right now. And you, as I say, you know the Sydney market best, but you, you do operate around the country. What are you seeing momentum-wise in the real estate market? Well, the first couple of weeks back, um, often traditionally the market doesn't wake up till the end of January, but from the, like the, the first weekend, like the 9th of January, we're already seeing open houses happening. And the last two weekends that I've been out, we've seen 40 and 50 groups through houses um, now, there's a difference in the market between apartment market and the housing market. So in the unit market, particularly the inner city, some of those areas are struggling and there's some good value to be had um, in the unit market at the moment. But houses, very, very strong demand, continuing under supply. And we're seeing a lot of uh, buyers coming back early in their search this year to, to get on the train and buy a home. Yeah. Now, we know that a lot of the apartments in the inner city areas have been affected by the fact that there are less foreign students, less foreign travellers who might have used Airbnb to access these apartments. Are you seeing any evidence that investors who held these apartments thinking about, oh, I'm going to get out? And as a consequence, 
that the prices are you know, reasonably attractive to say first home buyers? Yeah, look, we're seeing, I'm not seeing any kind of evidence of widespread uh, mortgage delinquency or a stress sale or bargains out there. Um, I, are, I am seeing, you know, talking to some agents, there are a few opportunities, I would say, um, selective opportunities, but it's not a widespread kind of massive downturn in the apartment market. It's just that there's um, not as strong a demand. Like during the sort of 2015 to 2017 boom, uh, you would have, you know, five to seven bidders on an apartment. Now you're seeing one to three, maybe, if you're lucky. Um, so it's the volume of buyers that's, that's holding the price uh, the prices back in those areas. And that's why I think we've had with COVID um, a flight away from the inner city areas to more of the, the outer outskirts or the lifestyle regions. Um, but as COVID you know, gets managed and the vaccine gets rolled out, I think you'll start to see again a slight reversal of that trend. And people will want to again buy and see high demand for some of those inner city apartments once again. What about the turn off factors towards apartments because of some of the, the building problems mm. we've seen with newer apartments. Is that um, working against um, buyer interest in apartments? It's certainly working against brand new uh, properties and certainly off the plan buyers. There's certainly a much greater sense of caution for any buyers buying brand new because they want to know you know, am I buying a lemon? Uh, is there going to be structural faults in three years? And I get you know, thrown out of my apartment just before Christmas. Um, you know, so obviously there, there is a definite fear factor there in the minds of a lot of buyers. We're tending to find that, uh, and we recommend to our investors and home buyers that some of the older style blocks are actually incredibly well built. You know, some of the Art Deco, the more boutique style of blocks of apartments, um, rather than the larger high rise of 50 to 100. Um, I mean, they're just generally in, in better condition and could be easily more easily renovated. So we're finding there certainly uh, the types of apartments we're going for. And we like to look for apartments that have got above average bedroom sizes, definitely have parking, some kind of aspect or balcony, some sort of uniqueness factor rather than a cookie cutter approach with apartments. Yeah. Uh, let's go around the country. And I was talking to, to uh, one of my financial planning clients recently and uh, uh, he, he actually holds a number of properties in Brisbane. And I said to him, well, as I talk to my experts, they keep saying that uh, Queensland and Br Brisbane pr uh, house prices in particular are heading the right direction. Mm. A, are you seeing that? And B, do you believe that, that, that argument that a number of experts are supporting? Yeah, look, Brisbane has always been touted as, oh, it's Brisbane's time to shine. Um, if you look at the median house price of Brisbane at around 550000 compared to Sydney at $1.1 million, um, you could say it's a, it's a buy one, get one free um, in Brisbane, right? <laughs> so Brisbane's always been on sale, but there are a lot of attractive features to the Brisbane market, which I do believe genuinely we will see that market move strongly in the next two to three years. So you're gonna to continue to see interstate migration. Uh, people chase the lifestyle dream, the climate's lovely. Um, there's always the job factor, Peter. And that is that when people do move to the Gold Coast or Brisbane, wages are not generally as high. However, now we're with remote working, we're gonna see some people being able to achieve the higher wages and the lifestyle in those regions. Mm. So um, we also have a lot of investors, Peter, buy in that Brisbane region. Um, we're buying regularly houses for our investors at around Four to five hundred thousand dollars, getting a yield of around five and a half percent, and then we often add an auxiliary flat or a granny flat to boost the yield to a six or seven percent return. 
So it's quite a, a simple and straightforward and high quality investment strategy. Um, also a lot of home buyers uh, wanting to buy in those regions uh, around Brisbane and the nicer suburbs in Brisbane. So we think that there's definitely, oh, and the expat factor too. We're seeing a lot of expats um, and demanding some good quality properties in those inner ring suburbs of Brisbane. So I think all of those factors are leading toward, I think, a stronger capital growth rise that's going to appear and actually materialise in 2021 and 2022. There was a time, and it wasn't long ago, that uh, it was suggested there was just an oversupply, particularly of one-bedroom apartments you know, in inner-city Brisbane. Mm. Is that is that still a problem, or is there buying opportunities for the, for the person oh. who wants a, a single-bed be, uh, apartment? I wouldn't be buying a one or two bedroom apartment in the inner city parts of Brisbane at this part, at this point. There's just still a lot of land that can still be rezoned or redeveloped. Um, there's quite a lot of pockets. Um, Fortitude Valley is always grouped as one area where it's a good investment, but again, the volume of apartments in that area um, just means the supply and demand equation is, is going to mean it's very lacklustre growth. Um, I've had, I personally get a lot of phone calls from investors that said, oh, look, I've been I've been sold this off the plan property 10 years ago from my financial planner or a group yeah. or someone. Uh, and unfortunately, it's still the same value today that it was 10 years ago. And I say, well, look, what do you want to do? Do you want to sit on that for another 10 years? Or why don't you cut your losses, get your money out and put it into something that will grow? Mm -hmm. um, so I think, Peter, yeah, the answer is there's a lot of those investors still stuck with those you know, lackluster investments. Um, so I don't think they're going to see a strong growth. I mean, they're in great position. You know, um, there at South Bank or areas along the river, they're lovely position, but they just don't have the, the drivers to see it grow, grow forward. Yeah, great stuff. Rich, thanks for joining us. Talk to you in a month's time. My pleasure. Thanks, Peter. Appreciate it. Well, I'm tracking the likelihood that house prices could rise by 30% over three years, as the Reserve Bank has kind of implied. And a, and a guy who definitely have a view on the subject is Louis Christopher, the founder of SQM Research. Great to see you, Louis. Nice to be with you once more, Peter. All right, mate. So let, let's just throw that question to you straight away. You were heard of the Reserve Bank making this kind of possible suggestion. What do you think, 30% in three years? Oh, I think it's, it's nigh on impossible to predict what's going to happen three years out from now. Mm. There's so many X factors in the world right now. Of course, right now we've got low, uh, very uh, low interest rates, negative rates, of course, in a number of countries. We've got quantitative easing. But is that going to continue on for the next three years? Nobody knows. Uh, and I would also suggest to you that the Reserve Bank of Australia's uh, predicting qualities have, have not been the very best over recent years. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's, 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 it's not impossible. We don't know the end result of coronavirus yet. Mm. That's still going with us. And, and Hopefully the vaccines will work and eliminate the virus or to the point where we can get on with normal life. Mm. Uh, very hard to predict three years out. Okay. And uh, of course, 2020 was an extraordinarily different year for forecasting, whether it be housing, equities, uh, just general economic growth. Uh, so to try and forecast three years out, uh, very, very difficult indeed. I think one of the things we can now expect sometime in the next three years is that AFRA is likely to intervene into the market, the housing market once more to potentially slow the market down, mm. uh, similar to what they did over the course of 2015 through to 2017. I think that that's a real possibility. 
uh, particularly if the housing market continues to boom in 2021. Yeah, now one thing you do do is you have a crack at trying to guess house price rises in a year. So what, what is your research currently telling you? So we released our uh, forecast of 2021 back in December. Uh, our base case scenario was that dwelling prices would rise somewhere between five to nine percent. The nine percent is really for uh, smaller capital cities uh, and particularly for freestanding houses uh, versus units, which we think are going to continue to underperform. So that the, the big trend that we're basing these forecasts on is a, is a trend for the population to move towards regional Australia and outer suburban locations in our capital cities, and in particular looking for freestanding homes versus units. Mm. Uh, I think that trend is set to continue into 2021, even while we've got a, an easing of lockdowns. I think there's still concern surrounding coronavirus. There's still concern we might have some type of third wave or another outbreak. Uh, and, and people are well aware that most of these restrictions have been on our capital cities. Uh, the people who have been living in regional Australia have been having a lot more freedom. Uh, and, and that is something to consider going forward. Well, well, one thing you need to do in trying to forecast or in brackets guess where house prices are going, which is a tough job to do, but someone has to do it, Louis, and you do do it, is to look at the, the multiple variables that can affect house prices. And those m variables change all the time. And so we've got the fact that uh, normal immigration rates have, have changed. But on the other hand, we've got expats coming home, you know, afraid of living overseas. And then another interesting one, which only a, a colleague of mine brought up a, a day or so ago, is that the international company that he once used to work for has basically told his buddies that they won't be going back in the office until 2022. And, and, I, and I believe a lot of other international companies are doing that. So that's going to reinforce that trend that you're talking about. Oh, there's so many macro variables. And indeed, uh, the, the Chinese Communist Party has some impact on this as well. What if we see a crazy year where China decides to do the unthinkable and invade Taiwan? How would we respond to that? Uh, not that I'm saying that's going to happen. Touch what it, it definitely won't happen. The here and now, though, is you know, what, what's on our minds right now is what's going to happen once we see JobKeeper completely rolled back hmm. at the end of the March quarter and job seeker return to just $150 a fortnight. What's going to happen at that point? Let's, let's keep in mind that at one point in time, uh, all the stimulus packages that we saw announced in 2020 effectively represented about 10% of total GDP. It's a huge number. Uh, now, fortunately, uh, we have been having an economic recovery. Uh, and I do believe that there is mounting confidence in the market uh, merely for the fact that uh, this country has been successful in getting on top of coronavirus, unlike Europe and North America. Uh, so uh, our, our, our view has been changing a little bit. We, we initially had this view that the housing market potentially could go back into retreat once JobKeeper uh, is completely gone. Uh, that's morphing a little bit to thinking that, okay, uh, perhaps a market could weather that okay. Uh, we will see, obviously, very low interest rates uh, are helping. Uh, but yeah, there, there's a lot of variables out there. And fortunately, we uh, as a business do a lot more than just forecasting. Okay. But, but I know you do a lot more as a business, but 
my viewers are, are more interested in your, your forecasting on various um, cities. So can we go around the country? What, what have you got for Sydney and Melbourne? So our forecast for Sydney as a base case is that dwelling prices will rise somewhere between uh, 7 to 11%. Uh, and most of that growth, in our view, is going to be in the middle and outer rings of Sydney and really focused on freestanding houses. We also believe the very top end of the market is going to have a great year. Uh, so if you're a property owner holding a property worth currently more than $2 million, it's probably going to be worth a lot more when we get to the end of 2021. Uh, for Melbourne, uh, the, the, the forecast is actually a lot more sanguine. It's, it's along the lines of between zero to about 5% in terms of price changes. Uh, and there is a little bit more risk on the downside. Uh, we believe that you know, with the very harsh lockdowns we, we saw in Melbourne, uh, that it's gonna take uh, a lot more for the economy to bounce back. But we do know that the, the Melbourne housing market did finish the, the final quarter off on a fairly strong note. Auction clearance rates ended up being stronger than say the September and June quarters. And a number of data bodies, including ourselves, have actually recorded price rises. So uh, we, we might end up being a little bit more conservative for Melbourne. But once again, I am concerned about uh, the, the rollback of JobKeeper. Melbourne would be one city potentially which will be hurt the most by that. Yeah. Um, I was talking to Rich Harvey uh, earlier in the program and we, I made the point that Brisbane for the last few years has always been seen as the, the city that will eventually do well. But at the moment, the, the number of experts who are really saying that uh, with more confidence is on the increase. Do you, are you going to join that chorus um, <laughs> and say Brisbane might, might be in for a, a much better year than they've seen in recent times? I think Brisbane over the past 10 years has had about three false dawns. It's caught a lot of experts out uh, in terms of uh, the market effectively been going nowhere. But to be fair, it hasn't exactly gone nowhere over that period. It's, it's, it's risen uh, basically on a per annum basis by about two to 3% over this time. But no, there, there has been a, a housing boom in Brisbane for a long, long time. Uh, you actually have to go back all the way to 2004. So uh, when we look at the Brisbane market, the leading indicators are telling us that there's not going to be a boom this year. Uh, but potentially uh, the, 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 the price rises could be somewhere between four to 8%. Once again, the interest has been for freestanding houses over units. Uh, Brisbane's CBD unit market has been in the same type of trouble as the Melbourne and Sydney CBD unit market. So we've, we have seen price falls and big rental falls in the Brisbane CBD market. But the freestanding market has done relatively well, particularly Brisbane's East. Uh, so we've seen strong demand there. I think that is set to continue, uh, notwithstanding some type of third wave of coronavirus. Let's go to Adelaide and Hobart, where Hobart in particular has been a star performer in recent years. What's the outlook there? Uh, this time last year, just before the coronavirus truly broke out, uh, we said take profits in Hobart. It really had its run. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's looking fully valued. Uh, Hobart did reasonably well in 2020. Uh, so, and that was on the back of people looking once again for places to move to to get away from coronavirus and, and certainly the state of Tasmania handled uh, uh, COVID rather well. Uh, 
but the market remains looking fully valued and, and we're quite concerned about any further rises in the Australian dollar would affect the local export markets there. Uh, we are aware, of course, of the CCP putting uh, trade restrictions on seafood and other uh, sort of base commodities, which uh, can affect the, the Tasmanian economy quite significantly. Uh, so we're a bit cautious about Tasmania for this year, but we don't think it's going to be a crash per se. It's just, once again, the market is looking fully valued. Yep. Adelaide and Perth, Matt. Adelaide, we have actually got a, a price forecast of somewhere between 6 to 10% in terms of price gains. Uh, the Adelaide housing market did re reasonably well in 2020 on our numbers. It was actually raised by about 5%. Once again, freestanding houses. And you'll note that's been the, the theme of this uh, session. Yeah. It's all been on freestanding houses. People are looking for larger properties and they, they do not want to be uh, tied up there all together in a small unit. Um, and those cities where you, you predominantly see freestanding houses have done rather well. And Adelaide's been one of those. Uh, once again, Adelaide is tied to the, the fortunes of the greater economy um, and uh, the commodities market price rises have helped that local economy. We'll wait and see what happens in 2021. Uh, but I, I think uh, we will see price gains for that local city. Um, okay, so Perth and, that, and the ACT. Perth is actually the one where we're most bullish on. Uh, so we think we could see double digit price gains in Perth. We've actually got a forecast for rents in Perth to rise somewhere between 15 to 21%. Gee. Yeah, it's things are super tight in Perth right now. Uh, we've, we've just had this situation for a number of years where there hasn't been really much new construction. Uh, so uh, with the resurgence of uh, mining projects, uh, there's been demand for accommodation. Uh, at the same time, the median house price of Perth is currently, currently lower than where it was uh, over 10 years ago. Uh, so they, Perth is actually offering a lot of value. There is risk, of course. And once again, this goes back to China. What if we were to see, for example, an embargo place in mind or uh, that would affect the Perth or the Western Australian economy big time? Uh, we probably won't see that for 2021. We, we don't know for sure, and that goes beyond my expertise. But that's just one factor to consider. There is still risk on the table there. But when I look at the risk reward, when I look at the value for Perth, when I look at the leading indicators, it's all pointing north. Uh, and we think Perth's going to have a very big year. Yeah. And so the ACT? The ACT has been benefiting from government stimulus. Uh, so when the government goes out to spend in the economy, uh, they need more people in Canberra filling departments, filling new roles are being created, and that creates demand for the local housing market. And so we have seen price gains in Canberra uh, as well this year in the order of about 6 to 8% from what we can see. Um, and we see a very tight rental market as well. We see, we see that momentum continuing in the Canberra market, but we're, we're still watchful of the apartment market in Canberra. We think that's going to underperform for the reasons mentioned before. Uh, and so it's going to be generally on freestanding houses once again. Louis, thanks for joining us. If people want to know more about your operation, what's the website? sqnresearch.com.au where they'll find a whole bunch of uh, free property data, uh, which gives them a, a very good idea in terms of what's happening for the here and now. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. 
And that was Louis Christopher from SQM Research. If you want to know more about what we do here at Switzer, go to switzer.com.au where I write a piece every day, including on Saturday for Weekend Switzer. And if you're interested in financial planning, go to switzeradvisory.com.au. Thanks for joining us.